Today is August 25th, and you're listening to A Day in Music, episode 15. In this podcast, we're talking with Phil Broikos about his album 12 AM, and today we're going to wrap it all up with our 12 AM wrap-up review. Phil, I can't believe we made it through we made it through your first album. This is a big moment. This is the end of our first season of the podcast, right? Yes. Any thoughts? My thought is, I can't wait to get Rich Goyette into this conversation. We have a special guest. Two episodes in a row, we've had special guests. It's really nice. I like it because I get to talk to someone else other than just you. Okay. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So yes, we do have a, a special guest, Mr. Rich Goyette from iCast Audio. <sighs> Hey, guys, how you doing? <laughs> we are good. We are good. Better now. Yeah. It's, isn't it funny when you're, you're having a whole conversation, joshing it up off air, and then you push record and everyone's like, hello, <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> how you doing? Exactly. All right, Phil, I'll tell you what. Introduce Rich and talk a little bit about him, because you guys go way back. 1990. Sounds about right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Rich was sort of a boss of mine. <laughs> He was, he was kind of a boss man of mine. You worked for um, Rich? Uh, well, really. he was kind of a, somewhat of a supervisor, I would say. Rich, come on, you step up to the plate. Well, you, you can take credit for that. I think the, uh, the title was crew chief. <laughs> That's correct. And I was part of the yeah. crew, so he was my chief. Yeah, but I think it was just kind of a token title that was given out mm-hmm. to you know incentivize folks to work harder. <laughs> nice. We all looked up to you. So what oh. did you guys do at this job? This was Rounder Records, Cambridge, Massachusetts, and we worked for the distribution part of arm leg of the company, and we would go around picking orders, which meant you had a sheet of different albums, and they could be cassettes, CDs, or vinyl. Oh, gotcha. Uh, A-tracks, maybe a little bit. No kidding, I was making a joke, but... They even had, at some point, they had digital audio tape. Dats. Wow. All right. Yeah. So it wasn't a recording studio. It was literally like a warehouse, like a Columbia house <laughs> type things. Do you remember that? I'm dating myself with Columbia house where you get like <laughs> right. 12 records for a penny. Do you remember that whole thing? <laughs> I just said the word 1990 and you said you're dating yourself. <laughs> all right. So did you know you were both musicians and all that kind of thing or, or did it just come up? I mean, I think a lot of people were musicians who worked there. And and it was kind of, you know, the first day of work, they, they're like, you know, this is just like any other place. Like, it, it's all about widgets and getting product from point A to point B. There really was something kind of cool about being able to spend the whole day with records and music and whatever else. Absolutely. Did you have music playing in the background? I mean, I'm serious. Like, was there music playing as you did this or was it? There was always music playing. That's cool. You know, you asked if there was a a music studio or what it was. To glamorize this whole warehouse experience a little bit, the very famous Fort Apache Studios was in the same building. So we got to hear some very now famous bands recording their records Of course, we may not have known it at the time or who was up there, but it was pretty cool. And it was a beautiful studio. Can you throw out one name, one band? The Pixies. Oh, right on. That's pretty cool. So you guys meet, you work at this place. Hold on. I got another another music story to tell. 
once you work there for a little bit, you can try to move yourself up the ladder. I got moved up at one point to the promo department, which is very similarly going to the shelf and picking out stuff and sending them off to people, except it was for the record label. Talking about, did you guys have music? Music was playing all the time, speakers all over the place, right? Well, this one day, I kind of noticed that the sound coming from this area that I had been promoted to, the promotion area, the sound was exceptionally good, but it was, <laughs> it was not clear like why it was so good. One day I made an excuse to get myself up to where the actual speaker was, and it turned out to be a set of vintage KLH speakers. And <laughs> that was the end of it for me. Like from that point on, <laughs> I, I was like, I gotta get those speakers. <laughs> So you so, mean the speakers around the whole place were just general kind of general anything. And in this one room, there's like this great set of speakers up in the top, sort of hidden away. Yeah. Like people like, oh, I don't want these anymore. I'm going to bring them into the warehouse kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I hear these speakers and they're very unassuming. Like they're very old. They're like, got, they got tape on them. <laughs> you're, you're very bothered by these speakers, Phil. <laughs> I've never seen you react like this. He's, you're actually taking your hoodie off because you've got a, wow. <laughs> <laughs> to say Phil is hot for these speakers is an understatement <laughs> because these speakers have been following Phil since then and he still uses them to this day are they in your studio right now they're my main yeah they're the, my main i wore out one of them and so i had to get a replacement but i do have one of the original ones so so basically like i made it my mission to get these speakers from this oh, warehouse you stole like, the gonna... speakers from the warehouse <laughs> i love how you're, you're trying to you're walking around it like i stole these speakers <laughs> no, no no well not exactly because i was scheming like how am i going to do this and a friend had this ginormous pair of Fisher speakers. Now, Fisher was sold by, I think, Sears. I was never attracted to them, but they look very, very impressive. So one day I brought them in. I'm like, why do we got to listen to music on, on these crappy old speakers up there? <laughs> And, and 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 people are like, why are you going to give those speakers away? Why would you do that? Like, because I'm, I'm like, I'm sick of listening to those stupid. We we deserve some better speakers in this place. So I switched them out and I brought them home and I was just like in heaven since then. They lived happily ever after. <laughs> so every time you listen to those speakers, there's a little piece of rich that lives in that story, and and you're connected yeah. to those speakers. Oh, we're connected much deeper and more than that. I mean, Rich has been overly, I can't, generous is not the word. I mean, because my knowledge of like how to work in the studio and problem solving and all that, it, it comes down to Rich. I have a problem. I ask Rich. He helps me out. I've got stuff here. I've, he's given me, it seems like all my best friends give me a computer. <laughs> George, you, you, I just did that. Me, I just did that. That's right. You gave me a computer. The computer I'm working on right now is something that Rich gave me. That's so awesome. yeah, Rich is definitely part of this whole studio setup that I have here. I, it could not have happened without him. Rich, tell me a little bit about what your background is, 
and what you do with this podcast, what your place is in this podcast. Sure. I'm a lot of things. My wife can tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I'm a musician as well, but mainly my day gig is a sound engineer and media producer. iCast Audio is is your studio, right? That's my company. That's your company, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mainly deal with podcasting these days. And in fact, a little fun fact, I've been engineering and producing podcasts since before they were called podcasts. Was it 2002, 2003, the iPod came out? And at some point after that, they started to call them podcasts. But I was making pre-recorded radio programs. Uh, Yeah, that doesn't have the same hook as podcast. It doesn't. And uh, and back then, too, I mean, everyone was connecting. Most people were connecting to the web on their landlines with like a 56K kilobot screaming demon, (laughs) if you remember that sound. I do. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what I've been doing for a long time. And I, I do music as well, but my bread and butter is podcasting. Yeah. Rich Rich has the good fortune of making Phil and I sound far better at this kind of stuff than we do. So <laughs> I have to say a big thank you to you, sir. You guys have been amazing. Um, let me, um, <clears throat> let me, um, <laughs> let me, um, break, um, yeah, break right. in here, um, and, uh, say, um, that, um, wow. I, uh, really, um, don't really, um, feel kind of, sort of, kind of, sort of, like, like, sort of, like, uh, it's, you know, it's like kind of, um, sort of, uh, you know, uh, it's a little bit, I mean, you know, man, uh, you know, uh, yeah, that'll all be edited out. Yeah. Uh, or maybe not for the example. <laughs> I don't know. We'll let that ride. No, you guys are amazing. You know, I've done a lot of podcasts and I'm really impressed with both of you, especially you, George. You do a great job. You probably should be doing this and being paid. I've told you before, it's a joy to work, not to blow smoke up everyone's ass, but there's a lot of talent involved in this. And you know, Phil, I, I know Phil and dude, I'm a, I'm a big fan of what you're creating. And what I love about your work is there's something for everybody when it comes to what you're putting out there. And, and that's, that's exciting to me because I'm never bored when I listen to your music or I, we approach this podcast. And I, I'm, I think this is a good time to settle in. Before we move on to the next season, we wanted to do just like a quick recap of all the songs. And we each have our sort of top three that we've chosen. But I, I do think it's fair to say that even if it's a song that we've we've had a chance to approach that I may not find. It's not my favorite. I am able to jump into it and appreciate the story or the musical influence or how you, there's so many levels, I think, to appreciate it. And that alone makes doing this podcast fun because there's always an angle that we can approach a new song from you on one of these albums. And it's easy. So Shall we jump into this recap? Let's do it. Track number one, 300 seconds, is on the George DeMott top three of of 12 a.m. Is it for you or no? If I had to pick one song, this would be my song. Right on. I mean, this has got to be a special tune to you. And of course, with all these songs... There is a full podcast getting into detail about each one of these songs. So if this is the first episode you're listening to, feel free to go back. Every single episode is in general, with the exception of we did like a preview of the of the next album. 
but every other one really kind of features and dives deep into one song. When I first heard it, that song was most of what I had to try to understand this extremely complicated project that Phil's doing. And it, it took a while, you know, for me to really wrap my head around what he was doing. Had I not known Phil and I was presented this, I would have thought he was a little nuts or something because see the thing <laughs> people don't know about Phil is Phil chooses to do the hardest thing possible and he has several projects in his past where he's done these incredible feats there, there's got to be like a Guinness book record thing that could probably be applied to this but had I not known that history I would have said you you got to be kidding me but knowing Phil I know it's doable and this song for me, it was my introduction uh, to the project. So it carries more weight now, looking back at it, than it did then. So, Phil, I know this is a very special song for you. This was the first, and I know that you got to work with an incredible producer on this, David Fridman. For me, the thing about this that really just does it is... It starts out just very atmospheric, and then out of nowhere, it just explodes like a supernova and just takes off. It's just a great feeling. And then to top it off, you go and create this very, very cool music video to accompaniment, Accompany It, which is on YouTube, and I believe A Day in Music has a YouTube channel, or you can just Google it, 300 seconds. It's a great video. This is one of my tops. This is the one that started it off. Yeah, absolutely. This was a big deal for me. The second track on the album is called Tunnel of Life. This is the one where the story has to do with the first underground tunnel, is that right, that connected the U.S. to Canada? At the time, it was the only international subaqueous tunnel in the world. Subaqueous, that's a, quite a word. Gentlemen, any, any comments? I had an interesting time working on it. I had decided that each song was going to be five minutes long. And this was my real first challenge of like, well, can I really do this? Can I really make every sing single song five minutes long? I think it was an important step in, in trying to figure out how to make each song five minutes long. Your process in approaching these albums and these songs started out in a very rigid system where in your mind you were going to make one song, you were going to finish it, and then you were going to move on to the next song and next song and next song. And wasn't it like halfway through this process that you just kind of, you just kind of started working on things sort of arbitrarily and, and pushing forward. So I would think that you were still in that headspace of, okay, I got to get this one done so that I can move on. Is that right? Definitely. I would say most of this album was like that. I was headstrong on, do not start writing a new song until you're completely done with the one that you're supposed to be working on. I'm a person who listens to the music for a while before I even start listening to the lyrics. It's just how my brain works. 
although I've been aware of these songs, uh, especially on this first album as they were being produced, I never actually got the story behind that. And it wasn't until we did the podcast on it that I was like, oh, wow, okay. It was interesting to hear the story behind it. And, and several of these songs were like that, which was kind of cool because um, it just brought a whole new life to the stuff. I'm telling you, that's one of the reasons why I'm such a champion of this project and these albums is every single song is its own little world. Harboring Darkness from the Night. If I'm not mistaken, this is the one where there was the the blackout, where they blacked out all the internet and all this kind of stuff in, in Egypt. So instead of writing about something obvious that that was happening, you kind of created this song with this premise that there were two people, one of who had a long distance relationship where one of the people was in Egypt and the other was there and they had a very regular communication. And when the blackout happened, the other person did not know that this was going yeah. on and what was going on in their heads and the worry and everything. That's fascinating to me how you, you take it upon yourself and paint pictures and, and write these little five minute, five minute movies. Of course, my big attraction to this song is the fact that I got Jennifer Kimball to be on it. And I was very psyched to have this idea that Jennifer Kimball will hopefully be on on one song for every album to be like a common thread throughout the whole project. I've never met her, but I absolutely love her voice since the early stuff that I heard her singing on of yours. Uh, she wasn't on my radar until Phil started to record with her. Just really blown away. And if I ever do another record, Jennifer, I'd love it if you would uh, sing on my record. <laughs> <laughs> Just throwing that out there because we know you're listening. Well, hopefully next, you know, on this next season, we it would be great to try to get her in to do, uh, you know, to do a, a little guest spot with us. A little interview. Yeah, that'd be cool. This was about the minister, correct? Father Phil? Divine. He was a spiritual leader. Father Divine. That's right. It's a powerful song musically and lyrically. The story is powerful. Please correct me if I get this wrong. It's a minister, uh, an African-American minister, who gained lots and lots of power. At the time, it was pretty 
intense for an African-American to have power like he did. It actually made that known in the local court system when they tried to take him down on some level. Yeah, this was the this was the early 30s and uh, some interesting stories behind Father Divine. He was a, a really important figure, I think, historically, when you look at the modern day mega churches, proselytizers. He's definitely within that history. His followers believed that he was God. And that's a lot of power for anybody. And society being what it was today was looked at even with more scrutiny, I think, that, that it would have been with somebody who was white. merman in the world. This is about the Egyptian scuba diver Ahmed Gabar. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name right. He surfaced from a record-breaking dive of 332 meters, which is just ridiculous if, if you were actually to measure that out, to think that this guy went that deep into it was a sea if i remember correctly one of the seas but to me the big deal about this song was well this guy's still alive maybe i can reach out to him and did he respond but he to you did no? respond yeah and, and he, he was did. super generous and nice about it and um you get a sense that if the two of us met we'd be giving each other hugs and and sitting down and enjoying a meal or something that's fantastic. which is crazy because you know this guy grew up in a totally different way than I did and to accomplish what he accomplished took so much effort, a ridiculous amount of effort and yet some dude like me can just reach out to him and say, hey, I'm writing a song about you like, oh, great, let me tell you about it <laughs> I mean, that's got to be flattering to be remembered and honored in that I way? I guess so, yeah, but I mean he, this is a guy who holds the world record for deepest scuba diving I and mean, he must get people all the time like people who are actually scuba divers who are into the sport and want his knowledge and people gravitate towards celebrities and they want a piece of that person and so he must get that all the time so the fact that he actually responded to me was pretty incredible you may have been a, a breath of fresh air finally somebody not asking me about the technical details <laughs> uh, yeah just a thought yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, that's true. Hey, you know, this is my number one track on the record. Wow. Yeah. And I would say ah. that is for two reasons. Number one, I really love the music in this track. But this is when it clicked in my head. I remember this was the song that grabbed me and saying, oh, this is what Phil is trying to do. You get it, dummy? You know? Mm. And uh, so that was a, a moment for me. And I've listened, I probably right listened on. to this track more than most of the other tracks because, um, 
I really liked the track. And and you made use of some, uh, fun fact. Phil and I used the same music production software, so I could recognize some of the stuff in there. And I was like, wow, that was a really cool way to do that. So so that that would be my number one. For me, Rich, hearing that, there's a huge lesson to be learned from me. I really admire your taste of music. I think you're an awesome songwriter, an incredible singer, and you've got such a great taste in music and varied music and complicated music. When I think of this song, it's kind of like, I'm just not sure about it. But at the end of the day, because of this project, it's like, just keep going, man. Don't, you cannot dwell on, on every single song. Do your best, give it your best shot, go for what you want to try to achieve, and then move on. And this is definitely one of the songs that I had a lot of doubt in my mind, like in terms of what kind of impact. And and for you to say like, it's your number one song on the album is like, wow, like very, very cool. And it reinforces this idea of you never know like what is going to affect people. It's definitely not one of my favorite songs on the album. And the fact that it's yours is like, well, there you go. Like everybody has different tastes in music different tastes in everything really. So just create it, put it out there. Chances are somebody somewhere is going to really like whatever it is that you created, even if it's not one of your favorites. So thank you, thank you. Gosh, shucks. There's a lot of love in this room right now. I, no way, I don't mean in my room because we're in different rooms. I didn't mean it that way. I mean, on this, you know, on this podcast, there's a lot of love, a lot of admiration. So number six, this is Love is Love, probably my number two song. This is the song about the first two gentlemen that were married in Connecticut. Was it in Connecticut? Uh, it was in Maine, yeah. The in first Maine, legally in Maine. married gay couple in Maine. I'll tell you what I think is cool about this. I've, in my experience as a singer, it's always easy to find beautiful duets for a male and female, and there's so many great love songs out there, and wedding songs and all that and here you've written this incredible song and i love the fact that this song is a duet for two men there's always people who are in love whether you are same sex or heterosexual whatever this is a great song about two people in love but i love the way you crafted it for two male voices it just works it would be such a cool wedding song and it's just badass i'm a big fan of this song. thank you man yeah this is my number two and uh, there yeah, you go the groove got me right away the opening of a song is so important because it, it determines quite a bit you know a lot of people skip tracks pretty quickly so the, the opening of a song is important taking a single instrument and laying something down that makes you go more please is difficult and I think it's something that you do very well, Phil. And that's just the tip of the iceberg why I love the song. It's, um, uh, gosh, I mean, you know, I could go on about it, but love is love. I agree. There's also 
the whole vibe of this song, there's such a warmth. There's just such a, a warmth and a comfort mm -hmm. to just to that group. And it's interesting what you were saying about the opening of the tune, because it's just that organ. And then there's that space, you know, like it's not, it's just you hit it and, and it's immediately kind of start a little bit of a stank face, you know, like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very laid back, funky feel. It is. For me, it is. For me, the big deal of this song was was getting Peter Moore on it because I've been. He was the guest vocalist, yeah, right? Yeah, I've been a, a huge yeah. fan of his for a long, long time. And um, through our mutual buddy, Sean, he hooked us up. Yeah, ah, that, that was right. a big deal for me. Right Sean uh, plays in his band Count Zero, and um, Sean's a big part oh. of this project as well. Yeah. That's cool. Well, a beautiful song, and, and uh, yeah, I, I love that it's the opening, I have to say. Track number seven, this is To The Moon. Let myself follow you through the door. No one will notice me as I go. Finding my hiding place by the stairs. I can see everything from in here I must say this is my third top three. This is my third song. For me, it's an obvious thing. Phil, I love your daughters. They're just awesome kids. I love how you worked your kids into this. And when I first listened to the whole album, and we started talking about the different stories before the podcast. I always thought that this album would be so great to be adapted for the stage. Now, whether it's in a musical setting, but even more than that, with an incredible dance company. I think there's such theatrics and so, such a great visual style that you bring to these. And so when I listened to To The Moon, the story about an event with one of the, the space missions, but you wrote this story from the point of view of this astronaut's daughter who was watching him take off and she kind of drifts off and falls asleep and has this dream that she's hiding out in the rocket and she goes to space with her father. I mean, like, it's so visual. It's like a little Spielberg movie to me, you know? <laughs> so ethereal and it's so melodic. And I love this too, because I've heard you do this song live with your daughters performing. And so for me, that immediately, you know, I, I have this great connection to this song as well. So what well, do you guys think? Wow. The perspective that you chose, I still don't know how you got there. And it's really cool that yeah. you got there. Um, <laughs> and of is. course, I love it that uh, Uncle Cupcake's nieces are, <laughs> uh, well, they called me Uncle Cupcake. Anyway, um, yeah, oh, nice. I love that they're on there. <laughs> but great. I have to say... That, that track, for me, it's just, it's a heartwarming thing just because I'm, I feel so connected to it. What about you? Is this a special song 
to you because of the kids or? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, it also made me realize some of the, <laughs> the capabilities of the recording software and what you can accomplish with it. Um, <laughs> there we go. Now we now we get it. <laughs> I mean, I, I, Irene was was very young when when she recorded this, and it feels good because I think just like anybody, I mean, all, all you have to do is look at um, uh, what, what were some of those programs where people went in front of the judges and oh, American, yeah, American Idol, Idol. Or America's Got like Talent. Like, how many of these or, American yeah. Idol people go there and they're like, I'm an amazing singer. And they open their mouth and it's like, oh, man. <laughs> and so, you know, I think probably that's a natural instinct for a lot of people and, and certainly for kids, you know. So I think Irene, in her mind, you know, was like, I'm a great singer and I can do this. And she sings and it's like, okay, well, what can we do with this? And with the software that's she's out gonna there, be mad at you now and she's listening to this she's like what are you talking about it was great with the software that's out there it's like she listens back and like yes <laughs> i nailed it you know? that's awesome <laughs> that's good so yeah that time period which was a number of years ago now i can think back with very warm feelings and you know working with both my kids and yeah there was some struggle in there it, it, it's it's kind of like the Christmas card photo where everybody's like perfect, you know, but it takes a long time to get yeah. there. You know? If you only knew what we had to go through to get there. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that that's a nice memory for me to have for a long time. Midnight in the Threshing Room, track number eight. This was from the Book of Ruth, right? It was based on the Book of Ruth. Yes, am I correct? Um, describes the story of Naomi and her daughter-in-law Ruth, and it's just a crazy, crazy story. And a friend of mine suggested when they heard about this project, and I think I asked them, "Hey, what do you have any ideas for time-specific songs or stories that happened at a specific time?" This is before I had my research down, my research um, machine method. Yeah. <laughs> My, my research machine down and a buddy of mine suggested this story and just a crazy crazy story so I thought I, I made a real effort not to embellish the story at all and to just really retell it as exactly as as it's written in the book I put very specific references that if somebody knows the book or reads the book they might be able to identify very specific references that I've made. So you're saying that there are elements of this that make it the Broikos code. <laughs> 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 Perhaps. Yeah. Well, oh, man. this track for me is interesting because um, I do like progressive music and I find this rather progressive in terms of the way it's put together. But it, it was never a go-to track for me it might have something to do with the fact that i'm used to phil's music grooving and I'm, i am really a big fan of phil's music and whereas normally if something's a little more on the progressive side i'm like yeah man you know but this was just not it was kind of unexpected and not knowing the story my bible uh, knowledge is not great so i didn't really connect to anything in this song 
of course, until the podcast happened <laughs> on this track, it is true. It really brought it to a, a space where I could appreciate it more and and listen to it. Uh, how should I say? Listen to how the music connects to the lyrics and how it progresses and how that makes more sense for me. Brutal. That was brutal. <laughs> <laughs> what? This was one of those special podcasts that we, uh, due to a technical error on my end, we had to actually record the whole thing <laughs> twice. We had, to, we had to completely re-record oh, sorry. it. Uh, so there was some setting with my mic, my head, which it wasn't right, and it was unusable. And uh, so, yeah, we got to talk about the Book of Ruth twice. So don't uh, beat yeah. yourself up. <laughs> and you sounded very surprised by my answers the second time too, which was that's the mark of a pro, right there. Right on. That's right. Number nine, I'll remember you. This takes place in the story of Cinderella, correct? From Prince Charming's point of view, right after she takes off at midnight and he's standing there kind of, what the hell just happened to me with this girl, right? Exactly, yeah. This is another example to me of you kind of turned it around and instead of perspective instead of yeah instead of writing from the obvious perspective yeah. of cinderella the clock strikes midnight and you went a different direction and wrote it from the point of view of prince charming again this is latiny groove to me and what's we talked about what's the little instrument it's like the quica the quica the quica quica I, I just, but I, I love that. I love that sound. Rich, do you remember me asking you like, hey, do you have any good Quika samples? <laughs> well, here's the thing. Uh, Juliet has, my wife has two, maybe more Quikas in her, wow. in her classroom. Had I only known. I vaguely remember talking about it. But yeah, the Quika is also known as the... Uh, mcdonald's straw in the cup sound <laughs> oh yeah that's true i never thought about that every time we would go when i was little my father would grab his straw and he would look up and go look at the ducks and he would start making that noise with the straw and he would look up and that's great that's true i never thought it does it's got that that kind of duck sound this song is just it's got a lot of joy in it the tempo mm-hmm. is run in and, mm-hmm. and it's it's just this is a lot of fun. I like yeah, this. Yeah, it's definitely a mover. Yeah. Oh, and Phil, the, your niece is on this, right? My niece is on it. Yep. Another special guest. <laughs> yes. Uh anything else, Phil, on this tune? Uh getting the uh the piano solo from Gordon some more. Oh, that's right. That's right. The end of this song, it's it goes into this whole thing that just sounds like you're in a jazz class. I forget. That's right. That's right. That was fun. That's pretty incredible. You seem so real, so genuine. Looking at me, making me feel like I was royalty. Then suddenly you disappear for no apparent reason. Was it something I said? Was it someone you saw? I 
Foothill and Osborne is number 10. Rodney King, right? The Rodney King song, Foothill and Osborne. Yep. This was a heavy tune. This was a heavy tune. I will say, I don't know about you, Rich, this was not one of my favorite songs. Like, I remember when I heard it, I just, I just didn't, like, melodically, I didn't connect with it. And it wasn't until we started talking about it and you were telling me some things about the tune, how you wanted that feeling of unrest the whole thing like why am I here why am I here what but you did something special with the chord changes in this song well I cr- I created a sort of never ending pattern of chords so where you never it, repeated is that right like you, yeah every chord never really repeated itself and yeah there's in the no same real way. sections there's no riff like there's no, <laughs> yeah there's no chorus verse anything like that it's just um, each chord is followed by another chord that doesn't necessarily have to do with the previous chord. Like it just kind of keeps going on this journey until the very end. There are no expected resolutions, you know? I mean, you kind of expect that standard phrasing motion and and it's not what you expect to hear. That was cool, the way you did that. When I first set out to do this project, I specifically thought I would never write a song like, like that one. When I first started the project... Wait, in what sense? Are you talking about the subject matter or stylistically? Like, what are you talking about? Stylistically. When I, when I first started the project, I thought, wouldn't it be cool to write about all these weird things that happened over time, but to create ultimately a piece of music that's 24 hours long? Within that 24 hours, they would all be like sort of on the poppy side. The Flaming Lips put out a 24-hour album. It's kind of experimental, and in many parts of that album, there's a lot of non-radio-friendly moments. And I thought, I'm going to do a radio-friendly 24 hours worth of music. And something that, you know, something about this song, something about the subject matter, it's like, maybe radio-friendly is not appropriate for this subject matter. and. It gave me the opportunity to kind of jump out of that headspace and be like, why don't you try to be more experimental about it? Once I made that decision to go ahead and allow myself to be more experimental, it then opened the doors through 1am. You can hear some weird, non-radio friendly songs. Well, Pi, I think of the Pi song right off the bat. You know, that's that's definitely... I don't think Pi would have ever happened if if this song never happened. Huh. And that's one All of the right. things about this project. It's like you 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 do a number of songs and then that kind of pushes you to go into a different direction and then it then you go back into the original idea. It kind of takes you all over the place. Yeah. One thing I'll say about Pi, if you look up no commercial potential in the dictionary, there's a Phil song Pi. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh I think it's important to note a um, special guest that performs on it. Phil? Absolutely. Oh, this is Manny, right? Mr. Manny Elias. From what you've told me, you're going to hopefully be doing some more collaboration stuff with Manny. Currently collaborating with Mr. Manny Elias. He's the original drummer for Tears for Fears, played on their, their biggest albums, the first the two chair. ones. The Big Chair. Yeah, Songs from the Big Chair. The one before that, The Hurting. 
those were albums that I grew up with and I totally love. And so now, X amount of years later, I'm I'm collaborating with Manny Elias and it's freaking awesome. And we're just, you know, we're buddies now. Like I was, <laughs> it, <laughs> it was like two or three in the morning this morning, he messaged me, which means it was, he got up super early in England. We were doing FaceTime. Like, I could have never expected that like, <laughs> when I was a, a young lad and just totally in love with all the songs that he's played on. That's amazing. And, uh, yeah. Life is an interesting thing to be involved in, and having him play on this song was a, an incredible uh, honor for me. It's great. Track number 11, Say It Will. Is this the one about the gentleman who the special police break into his house? Yeah, this is journalist Tasneem Khalil. Uh, he was at home playing with his six-month-old son when the Bangladeshi army security officers forced their way into the apartment without a warrant or anything. Just a crazy situation to be in, and he had to endure it. And so I wanted to honor that moment, reflect on that moment, and, and this is the song that came out of that. Phil, was this the tune that we were sending files back and forth to try to get the kick drum to be as loud as it could be without blowing up your system or my system? Was this the track? I can't remember. Um, fun fact. Fun fact for everybody out there. Rich has had a lot of musical experiences in his lifetime and has played some pretty heavy music at times. And I have never been in a band that was very heavy not the same kind of heavy at least so i was struggling with this mix and i was like i'm just gonna hand it over to rich so rich you mixed this song and made it something that i could have never done on my own so yeah. i didn't realize i forgot that yeah <laughs> I, yeah. Forgot. <laughs> I mean you know phil and i are in pretty regular contact and we probably talk more about audio stuff than, than most things and so it's all a blur and of course you know we've moved along quite a bit since this record and I'm just a side man on the project you know I'm not even like I'm not even like a side man I'm like the friend who's also a roadie and if the bass player or the guitar player is sick I can fill in yeah. that's great though yeah it's great that you, you know, you're like, oh yeah, I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're involved in so many, so many indirect pieces of the puzzle though, you know, like that's great that you forgot that yeah, you did that. Yeah. I do remember a track though, and I can't remember if it's this track or not, but the, the kick drum was really important that it was big and loud. And I was like, dude, you can't do that to people. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think this was a song. It's painful yeah. on yeah. the ear. <laughs> the good news is, uh. Dave Fridman can take it and rope it in or do whatever needed to be done on the mastering side. So that was awesome. Yeah. You know, if, if need be. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. Great track. Okay. 
12. Nothing left anymore. Phil, you want to take this away? This is about the fourth failed open water attempt Diana and I had to go between Cuba and Florida, and uh, this was her fourth attempt, and, and she failed on it again. This is a woman who's not like, she wasn't in her 20s or her 30s. I think she was like 50 or 60, I can't remember. I think she was in her 60s, yeah. like she was early 60s it's or something amazing. when she made it, right? Incredible. Like she, and she did it. Yeah, and the fact that it's, it's not just like swim from point A to point B. Swim from point A to point B and you're not going to have anything to protect you from, I don't know, sharks or deadly jellyfish or extreme weather. I still don't understand how some people are able to do what they're able to do. It's kind of like taking a marathon and just multiplying it by a hundred or something, you know, incredible physical feats. There is nothing left anymore. There is nothing left anymore. The big deal for me was to get Gary Lamar on this. The rap. Um, we've become friends since then, but man, when I heard him, his albums, I was just blown away by what he was doing. And I don't have a huge, voluminous knowledge of hip hop, but I've been interested in hip hop for many, many, many years. To me, what he's doing is something that is different than like 90% of the stuff that's out of there. So I'm, you know, again, honored to have him on this. you presume when subsumed, swallowed by fatigue, sorrow, drifting down several leagues toward oblivion, soul stretched, taught over several miles, several hours, but it's over in the now. Short of breath, though short of death, spent every cent, Every ruble, every bloodshot sclera, every dilated pupil pointing clearly to... It was interesting doing the interview with him for the last podcast, and because I don't know him, you know, and, and we got to just talk about it and listen to some of his music. He was just talking about how instead of telling her story necessarily, he drew from that inspiration and kind of wrote what came from his heart. And he made it just far more personal. And I love the story when you were telling you just like, I'm not really getting this, so can you? And then he, you talked about it more, and and then he like wrote another verse, and um, it was very interesting. But I do appreciate th- how rhythmic his cadence is, and I found it very interesting when you we were talking that he he is a drummer and a percussionist and everything, and I love that because I really do think. And whether it's intentional or not on his part, I love that it comes out when he's rapping and when he's he's doing his thing, that there is such an interesting sub-rhythm that's there that he kind of creates. I, I, I just, I really dug that. 
Yeah, I think his flow is amazing. In the absence of a goal, can we grow? In the chasm, in the void, is there meaning in the pause between the noise? When sucked into the deep, on the amniotic precipice of sleep, what is seen, what is you, what is me, this flesh, this pulsing cage of meat, a torrent of blood, taken by a torrential flush am i dry after giving so much to rise new from primordial sludge to find peace with the origins of to give lease to a brand new looking about the wet mouth of an empty cup a skull in which the buzzards buzz some action of which nothing comes is that enough well that's it i mean that's 12 tracks 60 minutes we made it through the first album 12 a.m and next time everyone hears from us we will be diving into what we are affectionately calling season two which is the next album which will be 1 a.m so don't confuse the second season with the album 1 a.m another set of 12 albums and one of the podcasts we've done is actually a little intro tease to 12 a.m that came out gosh was it was it on january 1st i think we did it was it was sort of like a little new year's treat so the album is out it's on Bandcamp, but we are going to be diving into the podcast with this new album and there are some incredible songs coming up we're just it's very exciting very very exciting okay so we've been sort of workshopping this we decided we wanted to have a little more fun next season we got some great special guests We've got another segment we're going to have some fun with called Phil's Funky High Fidelity, which is going to feature some of Phil's sort of um, unknown gem songs and artists. We have another segment called Beat One, and we're going to take it back to the 80s, and this is one second. We're going to get a little tease of the beginning of an 80s song. I'm going to try to guess it, and there will be some hints in case I can't pick it up, uh, but that should be fun. And then we're going to, we're going to do something call it play it skip it or add it to the playlist so we're going to feature a tune and then we're just going to say you know is it a thumbs up thumbs down or thumbs somewhere else we'll uh yeah know. yeah this is going to be rich's rich is going to be the one who primarily gives it a play it skip it or add it to the playlist oh that's right that's i right. want to say that this segment was phil's idea and there was some conversation over whether or not this segment <laughs> should happen and we settled on something and i was recruited to be the the adjudicator of each track and um, it'll be fun though it'll be fun oh it's total fun but it's called play it skip it or add it to the playlist or add it to the playlist i just want to be clear about how i see each of those so i'm going to choose whether or not you play it skip it or add it to the playlist but for me play it is more like, okay, that's going to be in my randomized rotation. I'm not going to listen to it all the time, but when it comes up, I'll be like, yeah, right on. And then skip it would be, I'm not going to delete it or anything like that, but I'm going to archive it. When I listen to the record, I'm going to hear that song. And then add it to the playlist. For me, that's on the short list. That's a high rotation, much like for the 12 a.m. record. Uh, the greatest merman in the world would be in that position. So I just wanted to be clear about that because it might sound like I'm kind of a dick <laughs> at times. So I, yeah, here you have it. You could never be a dick. Well, my Come name on. is Richard. It's good stuff. You know, it's it's occurring to me too. I mean, I'm 
like you guys were all kind of around the same age. And um, when we were smaller, there were still vinyl albums. I'm old enough where I grew up with vinyl and in high school really became the CDs and cassettes and stuff like that. It's interesting because when we were younger and you would have an album, you would have the insert. And I know younger people wouldn't know this, but the album wasn't just in the sleeve. There was a paper liner. And when you pulled that out, there were all kinds of information on that paper, which is where liner notes comes from, right? And so you would have lyrics. Some artists would talk about who played on it. And a lot of the things we talk about in this podcast, it's a little sad to me that the way music is put out there nowadays, it's it's very transactional. You don't really get an album. You don't get the lyric. Although, I mean, granted, fair enough, you can Google just about anything now, where before you had to just play it like a hundred times and try to write the lyrics down. But you don't really have that conversation. It's not as common. And that's, I think, one of the things I appreciate about doing this podcast is we're able to dive into all different aspects of this song from a songwriter's point of view. I really do find that I appreciate your music on a different level, mostly because we're given an opportunity to talk about it, to discuss it, and to understand it, and where it came from, and what you pulled from, and what inspired it. And like I said, there's something for everyone. Even if you don't melodically like the song at first listen, I think there's still so many other layers to discover, whether it's the fact that inspired the song or the way you wrote the lyrics or the person you contacted and had a conversation with or the way you discovered the background singers for this tune who lived in London, who recorded it separately. I mean, there's so many fascinating layers of it. And again, I'm just kind of going off, but this is the kind of thing that brings me the passion to be a part of this podcast. I like the fact that we call it, a, it's you call it a day in music because it's becoming more and more representative, I think, of the bigger picture of music and how it's written. And I think that there's that whole back end of the inspiration that went into it that is overlooked these days. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I think in, I think this project requires an understanding of the history of the song to be appreciated. I agree. I mean, because there's... You know, I'm I'm doing roughly close to 300 different events yeah. and interesting events, obscure events, oddball events that I didn't know about and that probably most people don't know about. And you, if you just listen to these songs, like Rich and you were both saying, you would hear it and and it didn't really grab you or or you didn't really understand it. But once you unbox it with, for example, the podcast where we kind of talk about stuff then stuff seems to make sense. I think that's one of the challenges with this project is that if somebody were to listen to any one of these songs, it might not make much sense without the context of what we're trying to do here. Thanks for listening to A Day in Music, our podcast. I am George DeMott with Phil Broikos and our special guest, Mr. Rich Goyette. 
Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Phil's music can be streamed and downloaded from Bandcamp. All right, you're going to go to adayinmusic.bandcamp.com. And of course, these days, all social media, YouTube, all that fun stuff, related links, you can find those links on the website, adayinmusic.com, as well as a contact email, contact at adayinmusic.com. Send us your feedback. Let us know what you're thinking, all right? This podcast is sponsored by iCast Audio, home of our sound engineer and producer and guest today, Mr. Rich Goyette. Check out their website at iCastAudio.com. That's it for today. From all of us here at A Day in Music, my friends, take care. Thank Thank you. you. It was a pleasure, guys. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Rich. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. <laughs> I want to talk to a rock star. You got to put that in there somewhere someday. I love that. That's yeah, yeah. Okay, so question away. So, George, I don't know if you know that uh, Rich and I were roommates for many years, and it was a very interesting situation with many revolving characters through the years you know when you tell me that you were roommates with rich all i could think about was back in the day when you had long hair i can't help but think about what kind of hair clogs there were in your shower from all that long rock star hair that you used to have that must have been horrible but the shower was rough it was very rough (laughs) (laughs) so um my question is what interesting story or happening do you remember that has to do with uh roommate situations and i'll i'll, oh my I'll direct that to rich at first but maybe george you, if you have any interesting stories you can you can throw I, something I, in there I, too. I i do actually and i i'm so happy that you asked that question so rich go ahead but i immediately there is one thing that pops into my um, mind gosh you know uh, of course, there's there's one thing that comes to mind that I'm sure Phil is thinking about too, and uh, and I I don't know if I'm comfortable talking about it, but since I've said that already, I guess I'll try to put it uh, plainly and you know try to uh, change the names to protect the innocent. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> so you know, back in the day when we were all young and long haired, um, it was a very um, Let's just say it was an experimental environment. And um, so uh, I'll just say it. So myself and another housemate uh, were hanging out one night and (laughs) we got our hands on some interesting things. And, um, uh, and, And it was something that can really alter your perspective on everything. And uh, so we realized, you know, sitting in the living room that the the carpeting that was in the living room was so awful it was like it was like a swamp it was i mean we mentioned the shower you can only imagine the carpet and uh you know that it was just uh, uh, it was like it wasn't hygienic it was you know it had to go so uh we spent the entire night ripping out a carpet 
out of the living room. And this was a properly installed carpet, you know, the, all the tacking along the edges and stuff. And, and I, when I discovered tacking, I was like, Hey, wow. Why did they do this? That looks dangerous. Uh, and, uh, and, but here's the thing, you know, oh my we we're both really grossed out by the carpet and we, we had peeled back a little bit like what's under there it's like oh my god it's a beautiful hardwood floor and we could you know easily keep that clean and not walk on this swamp you know and uh, and it did seem like a swamp at the time um and uh, yeah so we ripped it out and uh, in the morning uh the early hours of the morning um we were all we were all the the two of us were pretty exhausted and the the thrill of the experience was kind of wearing down or uh, going away and uh phil comes home <laughs> he, he either came home or he woke up and to see what we had done and we weren't finished we were like really dragging ass trying to take care of the details because let's just say the the floor wasn't as pretty in that corner where we peeled up the carpet everywhere and the carpet was kind of horrible in that it was like really sticking to the floor and we're trying to get all of that up um and uh yeah so it wasn't a it wasn't a fun task at all and uh the the worst bit of it was uh phil just shaking his head and being completely you know I don't know, not ashamed, but just so disappointed, you know, and uh, <laughs> anyone who knows Phil, you know, uh, disappointing Phil is just not oh an easy, you know, not an easy thing to deal with. Even back then, you know, we're young, you know, in our 20s and, you know, um, it's, uh, yeah, it was just a sad, sad experience. And I think it, it, it taught it. It's haunted us both for many, many years. Um, but I think, Phil, I think you've forgiven us by now. <laughs> I think the best part of that story, too, is is like our our other roommate, Chris, like took one look and it was like, wow, it looks great. Nice job, guys. <laughs> was was he one of the people that was helping no. rip it up? <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep the innocent. Uh, that's, uh, uh, the, uh, yeah. that's good. <laughs> Well, actually, as you were telling that story, something, another, another story popped into mind. So I want to do the one and a half. I'm real quick. Um, I was, I was, when I was an opera singer, I was, I was got a job as, a, as um, uh, an apprentice with an opera company. And I was going to be living with the baritone guy. And he was a good old boy from Texas. He's one of my closest friends to this day. And I'll never forget, I I like I came to the apartment and he had been living in another apartment with his wife over the summer before. So he said, you know, do you, I got to get some stuff from our old place. Do you want to come and help me clear that stuff out? And I, of course, sure, great. So I go in the, and he, he goes, well, he goes, there's some stuff on the floor and under the bed. So I go, okay, and I grab... And I pull these things out and there's this shotgun and an ammo box. He goes, just go ahead and pick that up. Just put it right in the car. And I'm so I'm like, I'm like, holy shit. I'm lifting. It's this big ammo box full of like shells. And I'm like, what the hell? And, you know, and he's like, look, man, it's, it's I'm from Texas. He's like, everybody's got to go. So I felt very safe. But, you know, when your buddy says, hey, can you help me move some stuff? You don't expect guns in an ammo box. But anyway. So when you said roommates, Phil, what immediately popped into my head is when Phil and I were juniors in high school, our high school had, uh, our, our high school choirs were invited to this big um, choral like festival in Rome, Italy. 
and it was a huge honor. It was it was awesome. We got to go to Rome for like a week, and Phil and I were roommates, you know. And now Phil is how tall are you? Six foot six, six yeah, foot six, five. Six. So Phil's like this giraffe person, huge. And I don't remember how you did it, but somehow he he like you threw your knee out right or something. Right before the trip. Right before the right before the trip. Yeah, so you had a cane, yeah. right? And you had to, he's walking with his cane. And I mean, for those of you that had been to Rome and been to Europe, it is not like a handica handicapped accessible place. You know, I mean, there's cobblestone streets. And I think, and I just, all I remember is you being so angry because your knee was so sore and it, people were having to push you in a wheelchair and it was uncomfortable. And I just remember Phil sitting on the bed in the hotel room with his cane, hitting smashing his cane on his knee just like screaming like this bullshit and he wow. was so angry and mad and he was trying to like knock his knee back into place and, and just hitting it with the cane and I, it was just i just felt so bad but it was i wanted like i wanted to laugh but he was it was that's one of my my roommate uh memories when you and i were roommates in rome italy which in itself is a, another amazing story and my sincere hope, because there is something incredibly significant that happened during that trip that I have already told you, I hope that you use to turn into a song and a story about what happened in the airport, because I think it's awesome. Um, but I, I I look forward to the day if that if and when that happens, that we can spend a whole podcast yeah. talking about that in the trip, because it was it was just a a, a very interesting experience. So there you go, guys. I think that our question was longer than the segment on the show. That was good, though. Now, every time I see Ratty Carpet, I'm going to think of your story. There are pictures. 